Well, you know, through life, we learn a bunch of different things, don't we? There are a couple of life lessons that are really critical. Yeah. One of those is you learn that life is not fair. Yeah. Right? It's one of those big ones. Uh, with two kids, um, <laughs> it's just one of those things, truthfully, I love teaching them. Uh, it's kind of like payback, you know, from when I was a kid. You know, I'll be eating uh, candy um, before dinner, and my son goes, like, hey, can I get something? I'm like, no. And he says, why? And I said, because life's not fair. Uh, great lesson. It is a good lesson. I mean, it's one of those critical lessons, right? Amen. You know, as... For you, you know, maybe it was when your mom would ask you, you need to take out the trash. And you say, why? Dad doesn't take out the trash. She would look at you and she'd say, life's not fair. (laughs) You know, maybe in school it was you were picked last in dodgeball. And first out. (laughs) And you learned, life's not fair. Right? Right? Maybe it was that you realized, man, I want to ask that girl on this date. And you get, you muster up all the courage, you practice all your lines, you go up to her and you ask her on a date and she says no. And just walks away. And you realize, life is not fair. Just not fair at all. But, I don't know about you, when I'm (coughs) driving around, walking around, I see different people that... In my mind, are not, let's just say, I don't know how to say this, um, they're not good Christians. And they have a bigger house than me, nicer car than me. They, I'm guessing they go out to eat a lot more than me and go to nicer restaurants. Probably a little bit of a step up from Wendy's. Um, and so, I try to make sense of this, right? It's like, I follow God, um, I love God, but yet, this person who has just no respect for who God is, from what I can gather, their life is better than mine, on the outside. And it kind of makes me wonder, how is this fair? How does God say, you know what, I'm going to bless this person financially, and you... Wendy's. Don't get me wrong. I like Wendy's. But I'm like, how do I make sense of this? How does this work? Let's turn over to Acts chapter 14. Because we're going to be talking about how life is not fair. Let me see. Acts chapter 14. You guys almost there? Yeah. Well, I am not. Here we go. In verse 8, it says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul. And as he was speaking, Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and Walked. Now, when we read this, we say, you know what? That is fair. This man had faith. 
and he was healed. Right. I, can, I can go with that. Sure. That seems to line up <coughs> with what I would think should be in the Bible. Right? This man has faith and he's never been able to walk and now he can walk. But let's keep reading on. Verse 11. It says, When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the um, excuse me, Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes. Because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when Barnabas, uh, excuse me, Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven. And crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food. And fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words. They had difficulty keeping the crowd. From sacrificing to them. And then we'll stop right there for now. Now as we see Paul. He performs this miracle. And the people there. They looked to him and they said. Surely this is one of our gods in human form. And you might be thinking to yourself, this is kind of strange. This hasn't happened previously. A lot of miracles have happened. And none of them have tried to worship that individual. Well, in this town, there was a local legend that Zeus himself had come down previously. And he had walked in human form. And no one paid attention to him. No one helped him out. And so what ended up happening is he curses the town with a flood. And so the people here are like, okay, we have learned our lesson. We understand. This guy's doing some great things. We got to run in and make sure that we really give Zeus the honor that he deserves. So it's not as crazy as it sounds. They didn't want to miss out. But here we see that Paul begins to preach to them. He begins to tell them, no, I'm not a God in human form. In fact, I'm just a man, but I'm bringing the good news to you. And the great thing is, is that he starts preaching on their level. Now, this was what I gather. Now, take this for this. Not the smartest town in the world. Okay? This was like one of the, let's call it a um, frontier town. Right? So, Paul's basically like, you know what? I'm going to bring it down a level so you guys really understand. Which... For me, I like that. I'm like, hey, I can, I, can, I can go with this. Keep it at my level, please. But Paul begins to tell them, you know, there's one God. There's one God. And that God has blessed you. 
That God has been watching out for you. That God has not only brought the rain, but he has blessed you with food. How is that fair? These men and women who have worshipped false gods to the point where they are literally trying to praise Paul and and offer sacrifices to him. But yet, Paul tells them, God still watches over you. You know, if you think about your own life and the blessings that God has given you, I'm not just talking about, you know, your home, your kids, your family, you know, perhaps your car, your jobs. I'm talking about the small little things in life. Just being able to sit down and have a great conversation with someone. To be able to laugh. To actually experience joy. That all comes from God. And you didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. In fact, we do the exact opposite, don't we? You think about even being able to see a sunset. Right? Just how beautiful that is. Did you earn it? Did you create it? God has been blessing us throughout our entire lives. And that's what Paul is telling them here. Come on. He's saying that, hey, you haven't earned this. But life isn't fair. God offers grace to you without you earning it. Even in the smallest little ways. But here we see as Paul begins to define the gospel message, he wants to make sure that they um, understand the full picture. That it's not just that God has given you so much, but in fact that he um, expects you and gives you the chance to turn away from your idols. From your sins. He gives you the opportunity to actually change your life. And Paul says that in itself is a part of grace. That it goes hand in hand. That Paul's saying, yeah, love grace. See grace. Love God. But at the same time, you got to change. That we can't, church, confine grace to only God's love. We can't only confine God's grace to God is a good, good God, right? That he's a good, good father. But that there's something more. If we don't actually um, embrace grace for what it is, we will miss out completely. What I like to call this is fluffy grace. Let's call this fluffy grace, amen? Let's see if our slides work. Amen. We're just going to roll without it. Have you guys ever wanted to touch a cloud? Yeah. You know, especially when you're like flying, right? And you kind of look out and you're like, I think I can just walk out there. You know, slow it down a little bit. I take a step out and I'll just be cruising across these clouds, right? Let me tell you what. Having gone skydiving before and Matt actually went yesterday uh, a couple of times, right? How many times? Twice. Twice. There you go. What a man. <laughs> I went once, so amen. Happy man. <laughs> but clouds don't feel like anything. They just really don't. You just kind of go through them and it might be like a little bit colder or like get like a little bit of dew on you. But you really can't touch a cloud. Uh, yeah, sorry. 
Sorry if I disappointed all of your dreams and hopes. You fly every single time. No bounce. Nothing. Yeah, it's completely just fluff. But that's what we can do to grace. That we can say, hey, it looks really good. God's love looks great. I like that. But as far as me doing anything with it, I'm going to keep it over here. It's just fluff. It has no substance. But that's what we can do with grace. If we don't actually add that we're going to change our lives with it. But I think, you know, as people, when we read the scriptures, we want to gravitate towards fluffy grace, don't we? It's just so much easier. It's just so much easier to be able to look at God and say, man, I'm fired up that you have given me your love. I like that. But as far as me changing, not really feeling that today. I don't know if I want to go down that path today. No. The interesting thing about, um, um, excuse me, idols here that Paul is talking about, as he, idols are functional in our lives, aren't they? The idols we set up, the, the sin that we keep close is functional. And what I mean by that is it does make you feel better in that moment. Right? You think about sexual sin. It's functional. It makes you feel better. But then it fades. You think about the things that you put your hope in, whether it's your job, your possessions, even your own kids. You get wrapped up into that. It's actually functional. It feels good. But yet it fades. It doesn't actually add anything to you. Paul here is commanding that we leave these idols. That we have all these idols in our lives and they look good. They look good lined up in your home. But yet they offer no fulfillment whatsoever. You know, Paul is offering this grace, but he's saying you've got to run from your idols. You've got to leave them. So my question to you, church, is what kind of grace have you um, embraced today? Is it a fluffy grace? Or is it a true definition of what grace is? Not just that God loves me, but the fact that you need to do something with it. You need to change your life. Have you protected and collected all of these idols? All this sin in your life and looked at grace, but yet haven't changed anything. You know, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about how the sin entangles you. You know, and for me, I like to think about that is, you guys ever watch The Deadliest Catch ever? I really like that show. I know it's the same thing every season. That they go and catch crab and they're like, it's so cold. Let's go catch crab. I get it. Deadliest catches, they're crabbers that go um, really far up north and they catch big old crab, right? And what they do is they throw these, I think it's like a couple thousand, maybe 500, let's just stay there, um, (laughs) pound pots in big steel cages over the side. And they have these super long ropes, a couple hundred feet of rope. 
And what they tell them is don't pick up your feet ever walking around. Because what's going to happen is you may step into that rope. And as that cage falls to the bottom of the ocean, it's going to pull you over quickly. That's the way I like to think about the sin that entangles us. Is that you take one false step, it wraps around you, and it's taking you down. And there's nothing you can do about it. But here we see that grace is a chance to actually get out of that. It's not just, hey, i got to run away from this sin. i got to leave it. It's no, you get the chance to actually break free from the slavery of sin. But if we don't uh, embrace the full picture of grace, then nothing's going to change. In fact, grace isn't You don't have grace. It's hanging out there, nice and fluffy for you, but it has no substance. Nothing has changed. You're still going to hell. You're still entangled in that sin because you've embraced fluffy grace. Think about it like this. You know, for your growing up as a child and perhaps even you and your own children, you teach them not to play in traffic. Right? Not a good thing. Don't play in traffic. You know, and all of us have had those conversations. Uh, hopefully you haven't had those recently. Um, as an adult. It's out there. That was a joke. Um, amen, moving on. Um, but yes, imagine your child keeps going out there and playing a traffic. And you keep having the conversation over and over again. You've drawn, like, pictures... You show them videos of like uh, kids getting squashed by cars. You're just like, I gotta do something to make my kid not play in traffic. Right? Here it is. Here's a picture. Boom. The kid's like, oh, shock and awe. But then runs back out there. Now, let's say that kid gets hit by a car. Are those consequences fair? Is it fair that that child was hit by a car? You may not like it. No one wants to see that, of course. But is that fair? Is it fair that this child was warned, pleaded, and taught to not play in the street, but yet he does it, and he gets hit by a car? Is that fair? Consequences. You know, for you and I, the wages of sin is death. We've been pleaded with. We've been talked to about it. We have the signs of grace everywhere. But do we keep playing in traffic? And if we do, are those consequences fair? But through Jesus, through his sacrifice, you can break, you can totally skip out on those consequences. I'm not talking about some of the consequences that you're going to get because you fall into sin. I'm talking about the big consequence later on as you stand in judgment. And it's, let me tell you what, church, it's not fair. It's not fair at all that you have those consequences taken from you. You know, for Paul's message... Of grace, he was moving towards a punchline here. 
moving towards the punchline of Jesus. He wasn't able to actually turn that corner. He wasn't able to talk about the sacrifice that Jesus gave for each and every one of us. You know, excuse me. It seems like the people here were starting to listen to Paul. It seems like they were kind of starting to feel it a little bit. But then what ends up happening? The mob comes in. Let's go ahead and read that part. Verse 19. It says, Then some Jews came from um, uh, Antioch and um, Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, him and Barnabas left for Derby. You know, the mob here we see convinces the people to walk away from this grace. To walk away even though they've been able to see it. Even though Paul's been telling them, hey, everything you have is a gift from God. But yet they walk away. Now, the mob itself is a very powerful thing. You know, in uh, California... In 2009, a 15-year-old girl was gang raped at a school dance. As many as 20-plus witnesses watched, but yet no one did anything. Now, as a group, we get sucked in and do some things that go against our conscience, that go against our convictions, that go against God. The crowd, the mob is a powerful thing. And we can't discount the power of the mob, church, in our own lives. It's easy for us to turn our back on grace. To actually go back to our idols. To go back to our sins. When we see our neighbors, our family, our friends, and they look to be having a great time. And it's getting louder and louder and louder. It's easy to join the mob and to walk away from the message of grace. You know, it absolutely breaks my heart to see one of our brothers and sisters walk away from God. You know, especially with one of the teams that Kelly and I get to work with so closely. And we get to uh, study the Bible with them, sit down and just be a part of their lives, a part of their family. And it breaks my heart. To be able to see one of those teens turn their back on God. You know, and it's never, it's never, um, it's, it's never based on, hey, I just need to change the pace. This doesn't really seem to be working out for me and my schedule. I think I'm going to try different things. That never seems to be what's going on there. They start to feel the pull of the world. The pull of the mob. The pull of the crowd. And they get sucked in. And they turn their back on grace. Now some of us here this morning are feeling that pull. Are feeling that pull to go towards the mob. To go towards grace. Some of us here are even thinking about maybe it's ready for me to go. Maybe I want to join that mob. Maybe I want to join the crowd. Because the sin 
It's just pulling us back in. I think for us, church, we got to realize how close we can actually get to the mob. Even though we're standing there hearing the message of grace, hearing the message over and over again, week after week after week, we got to look and say, how close are we to joining the mob? How close are we to actually stepping right back into it? And we got to got to hold to the truth. Amen. we got to hold to our first love. Yeah. That being Christ. we got to hold to the body of Christ, the fellowship. Amen? Yeah. we got to... I loved hearing Tim talk this morning. Because yeah. we got to embrace being open. Yeah. Talking about what are the desires of my heart. Where are, what are the, the uh, areas in our lives where we stepped over the line. Yeah. Where we started to join the mob once again. We got to get open about that. We got to be able to make sure that we don't take steps towards the mob. You know, as the crowd turned from the offer of grace, they turned towards Paul. They began to stone him. You know, and at this moment, I wonder if Paul had flashbacks. So when he stoned, when he was there to stone Stephen, if he kind of was thinking to himself, you know what? I have earned this. This is my rightful place. To be stoned in the name of Jesus. And we see here that Paul gets stoned so severely that the crowd has to be satisfied when, from what I gather, his body looked lifeless. They threw it right outside the gates of the city. But what does Paul end up doing? He gets up, walks back into the city. You know, I would have loved to have seen that scene. Paul kind of hobbling. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know if he had a, you know, a couple of crutches. He was dragging. He was crawling, army crawl. I don't know what he was doing. But I do know that if you lived in that city, you would have noticed something was wrong with this man. Blood pouring down. I don't know if you've ever been hit with a rock. Not pleasant. And here he is being pelted with them. And he walks back into the city. And you're just like, something is going on with this guy. He looks a little nuts. We just threw him out. Why is he coming back? Round two. Here we go. And I had to ask myself, why does Paul do this? Paul had a deep um, understanding that life's not fair. It, it, it wasn't fair for him to get stoned for all um, intents and purposes. It's not even fair for him to go back and preach to the same people that just stoned him. Right. Paul embraced the fact that life isn't fair. Right. And in fact, we see as we finish the uh, chapter, and we're not going to go ahead and read that for the sake of time this morning. You can go back and... Spend some time there. But in verse 22, we see that Paul ends up going back to the church. And guess what is there? Disciples. Come on. Christians. So what that tells me is, because he went back into the city, somebody listened. Somebody heard the message of grace. Somebody paid attention. Somebody noticed this guy is limping into the city. I might as well listen to him. He seems pretty focused on what he needs to do here. 
Paul knew this message had to be spread. No matter if it was fair to the people, fair to, fair to him. But that's why as Christians, we need to share this good news. Because we know that life isn't fair. And we know that we got to preach that word to other people. We know that the gospel message is the only thing that is going to save people. It's the only thing that is going to break the chains of sin. Right. We know this. We have embraced grace for what it is. We go in there fully convinced and full of fire to go preach the word of God. And to preach, not fluffy grace. But that grace is a change in your life. It's the opportunity to change. The opportunity to have a relationship with God. You know, we see here that Paul obviously has some um, trials, persecutions. I mean, it's putting it lightly. Yeah. Now, you think about um, our own lives, and I don't, it kind of forces me as I read this to be able to think to myself, uh, I've come nowhere close to this. Right. But let me tell you this. Persecution is persecution. Yeah. I don't think Paul would be looking at you and saying, hey, you know what? I'm not too happy because you haven't been stoned lately. In fact, he's probably thinking to himself, this is awesome. Go for it. You're getting, you know, a little bit of people looking at you sideways. Okay, take it, suck it up, but go preach the word. We got to preach that grace is everywhere. It's a super simple message, isn't it? You know, for people that don't want to believe in the presence of God, it's a super simple message. You can preach the proofs. All day until you're blue in the face. That yeah. hey, look at this, look at that, look at this, read this. Um, historical proof here, <laughs> historical proof there. But honestly, it's easier than that. Just open your eyes and look at all the blessings that God has poured over you. Wow. And you look at your life, do you deserve that? No. That's the message we preach. It's very simple. Extremely simple. And what motivates us and what drives us to go preach that message is the fact that we know that grace and life is not fair. So church, as we close out here this morning, I want to leave you with this. Life isn't fair. You've learned that from a very young age. It hasn't changed, and it won't change. God's given grace isn't fair. And we can see that every day in our lives. But the question that I want to leave with you is what are you going to do with it? Amen. Thank you, church. Come on, brother. You are dismissed. <laughs>